you know, if I did want to scare you, I'd tell you about Rick and Valerie. Cliff. You tell her about who? He's asking. Yeah, tell me. Come on, tell me. I'm not scared. Go ahead. All right. <clears throat> We're gonna go for a joyride. You've just made a wrong turn heading south onto strange highways. Enter Death's waiting room, if you dare. And welcome to Strange Highways. I am Paul. And hey guys, it's Terry here. And we're uh, on another detour here, but uh, we just finished up with season two of the Jordan Peele produced Twilight Zone for CBS. I mean, Paramount Plus. They're now changing the name of the service. I don't know why, but um, we're, we're past that. I hope you guys enjoyed our conversation about it. I will admit that I um, I did unsubscribe from uh, from that platform. And when they put the little box up of like, uh, why, you know, why are you leaving? I was like, well, I was like, uh, give me season three of the twilight zone. And then I hit submit. So maybe my statement is what will bring that show back for another season. Hey, it's worth the effort at least. <laughs> it was, it's like the least amount of effort. I couldn't be like, I don't want to give you $8 anymore. Make more shows for me, please submit. But, uh, yeah, um, we're still doing uh, some d- detours here before we get to season five of the original series. We're going to be talking about a film tonight uh, called Campfire Tales uh, that was released in 97. Um, and it, it's not an easy film to track down. Uh, Terry, if you want to tell people uh, the links that you went to try to find this and then how it, we eventually arrived at it. Okay, so it's not on like Voodoo. It's not on any of the uh, streaming services like Netflix or anything like that. I tried to watch it on YouTube. The quality of it on YouTube is garbage. Um, And I even tried to go through my own little back alley, little (laughs) connections to that didn't work either. Um, So I, we were kind of at a crossroads. It's like where we just pick something else or we forge forward and try to find it in some other way. And luckily uh, we sent a word out, and our friend Rich was able to accommodate us with a, a link, and we greatly appreciate that, Rich. We do, and I just want to give a shout out to him. Uh, uh, he uh, he has now started a, a podcast uh, with his co-host uh, Nathaniel, uh, and it's called At the Devil's Ball. They've been covering a lot of horror. Um, I know what was it? They're doing a whole Mick Garris thing right now. Uh, they have covered a lot of the Elm Street series. So check that out. Um, good conversation, knowledgeable conversation. And, and Rich is just a funny guy all around. So please check that out. And thanks to him for him finding uh, a version of this that uh, had, what is it? Swedish uh, subtitles to it or something. It was definitely a um, like Northern European Icelandic language of some sort. 
Yeah, that's that's what it, it resembled. I couldn't read what the hell it was saying. Luckily, I was hearing it in English, so they, <laughs> yeah, they were I, good. <laughs> I kept just imagining that the Swedish chef was just a, you know like like I would like to hear him read the dialogue to this movie. That'd have been amazing. Um, but yeah, so this is Campfire Tales. Uh, it is um, a film that like I, I think I've heard of in passing, I, but I'd never seen. But I know that you wanted to bring up to talk about it. So before we get into cast and crew, and there's a lot, so we'll, you know, we'll, we'll try to be expedient because this is a movie with a couple of different parts. But uh, Terry, you you had seen this previously and you wanted to talk about it. So wh- like, why why was this the film you wanted to bring to Strange Highways for us to talk about and for nobody else to see? Yeah, right. Uh, yeah. Uh, so I apologize for that uh, side note. If anybody has seen us. Um, Great. Uh, I'm glad that you're able to uh, indulge into this conversation. If you can find it, you're going to have a lot of fun listening to this. Maybe put this on pause until you can find it. Good luck finding Seven it. Seven years from now, like they get they get the video disc of it and they're like the laser disc. Like they pull the dust off. Like it's like finally I could listen to this episode of the podcast. Yeah, it, it, I wish that Scream Factory or Arrow or one of those those uh, newer companies that are like restoring and uh rebranding like a lot of amazing films from the last like 30 40 years that had no distribution would pick this up because it's not a it's not a great film but honestly some of the films that they've they've put out (laughs) and put the effort into are not that great either so um you know just putting that out there this one it's probably super cheap to get a hold of screen factory so do your thing um but no, when I was a kid, um, you know, going through cable channels and watching anything that had gore or boobs and it, that was, <laughs> this was like right, right in my wheelhouse. Fair uh, I've, <laughs> I've always been, uh, interested in horror films and that, and this one was, I thought you were gonna say, I've always been there. interested in boobs. I'm like, well, yo, I'm glad that you've, uh, shared that with us. <laughs> 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 well, that aside, but yeah, <laughs> but yeah, like this, this was at a really good, um, kind of a, a transition period for me as a kid because, uh, you know, watching Nickelodeon a lot and are you afraid of the dark? This had a lot of those vibes, but it also had the maturity level of being a rated R film that I was already used to, but I'm glad that I was able to kind of get the same vibe that I was getting from are you afraid of the dark, but at a mature level. So it was, this was a really cool film for me as a kid. I, I, I would say that it probably, it hasn't aged as well. Um, but you know, it's still, it's still a fun film. I mean, 97, you know, that's fair. And I, I wish, I wish I could show you like my thought process. Cause I think it was yesterday that I was like, how am I going to describe this film? And I, I was going to be like, you know, it's like, so the pitch meeting would have been like, you know, are you afraid of the dark? What if it had boobs and swears in it? Like that was my thought that I was going to say that was the elevator pitch for this film. And that you, you know, you, you summed it up that it has that kind of that nineties energy of, uh, you know, pretty kids, uh, a soundtrack that I think is the bulk of their budget. I honestly think that they paid too much for licensing for a lot of the songs. Um, and you could tell because they couldn't show a lot of things until like they had one or two decent effects. And you could tell that the rest of it was hidden because they probably spent money on doo-wop songs. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good call because I, I that is a big problem for uh, a lot of films where they spend quite a bit of money 
on certain crap that doesn't make the movie any better when they should just focus on making the best product they can as far as a film. I mean, because dude, there's a lot of bands out there that are giving away their music for free because all they want is the notoriety to be in a movie anyways. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, so yeah, we'll, we'll get into that more in a second. So, uh, yeah, let's just get into uh, a cast and crew here. Um, I have it broken up by like, once we get past the, 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 the writers and directors, I have it broken up by segment. I don't know how you would like to do that. If we want to kind of like hit the actors and then talk a little bit about the segment and then move on to the next thing. Cause there's a lot of different names here. Um, I just, it, this was a hard one to get into because again, it's an anthology, but it has a, um, a like a prologue and then it has a frame story so this isn't as straight ahead as a narrative like as a discussion as like when we covered nightmares which was four separate stories right uh yeah that this one has the traditional wraparound that we would see in a lot of uh um, anthology film so so yeah I guess I'll follow your lead. Um, okay, cool. Uh, all right. We'll, we'll see where it goes. Yeah, I'm just going <laughs> to I'm gonna weave and bob all over the road, and you're going to tell me don't do that, and no one's going to see me driving a car. It's going to be crazy. Um, so uh, directed by three people, Matt Cooper, uh, Martin Kunert, and David Simel. Simel. Um, so Matt Cooper, he directed um, the, the, first, uh, the first standalone story in this called The Honeymoon. Uh, has some, some producing and directing credits. Nothing that I saw was memorable. Um, I don't know if you have anything for him. Uh, just that he, he also wrote part of the screenplay for this and he plays a bit role in the last part of the movie. Okay. Um, all right. So I have uh, Martin Kunert, uh, who, uh, directed the first bit, um, the, the actual prologue, the black and white bit, um, the, the middle story of the anthology, and uh, so he, I have him listed as a producer of the short-lived MTV series called Fear. Do you remember this? I do, and it was it was actually pretty badass. I I enjoyed this uh, this show because I I myself like scaring the shit out of my friends. So this <laughs> this was like a super fun show to watch back in the day. Yeah, like I remember they did one of them. Like actually, I saw some of the episode lists. They did one in Eastern State Penitentiary, which is in Philadelphia. I've been there. Uh, that was the first penitentiary. Uh, that was actually the first building like that that was named a penitentiary in the United States. And it, that place is creepy. Also kind of sad because of like, you know, their attempts to like, you know, beat the crime out of people didn't go so hot, but it's still a creepy place. Um, and then I know they did one. I think they did one in one of the, the West Virginia prisons as well. I just remember a lot of like uh, night vision cameras and people crying and running. That's all I remember from that series. Yeah, it was pretty sweet. I, I, <laughs> I don't know, man. I would have loved to have been one of the, the guys who set one of his friends up, but I'd also hate to be that guy after the, the cameras are turned off because I'm sure they got the crap beat out of them by their friends <laughs> or their girlfriend or whatever. That, that's fair. So um, do you have anything else for him? Uh, no, that's actually the only note I had was the fear thing. Okay. And then we have, uh, David, uh, Samel, uh, he, he's the one that directs the, the bulk, like the, the, uh, the bridge story, like the, the wraparound. And then the last segment, um, he actually is the one that has like the biggest career. He's done a lot of production credits and a lot of TV directing work. He directed an episode of, uh, HBO's Watchmen, which that series is amazing. So for him to direct one of those episodes is, is like, you know, high praise, uh, episode of the man in the high castle. He, uh, did some episodes of uh, American horror story. Um, so like he, he's the one that got established to went on to do a lot of things. 
Yeah, I also had that uh, he did uh, a bunch of episodes of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Oh, there you go. Perfect. Speaking of 90s. Uh, so, yeah, this was uh, written by Martin Kuhnert and Eric Maines. Eric Maines is uh, uh, also credited as people working on TV's Fear. And um, and then the screenplay, like we mentioned, was by Kuhnert, Maines, and Matt Cooper. Yeah, that's uh, that's the notes I have for those directors slash writers for this as well. Okay. So, uh, all right. Uh, in terms of, you know, let's see here. Um, we'll, we'll, okay. How about this? Um, we'll do the first bit and then when we talk about like the main cast, we'll talk about them and then talk about the other three stories that we'll do it that way. Cause the first thing we see is the hook. Um, and that's, and there's only two actors in this and one voice. Uh, so we have the hook that has James Marsden as Eddie. Um, he is this guy that like he, he, uh, took a little while to catch fire, but he's now all over the place. And I love James Marsden. Uh, like just consider this film came out in 97. He was Cyclops in the first X-Men film in 2000. Uh, he's, he's currently going to be Stu Redman in the new CBS all access Paramount plus whatever, whatever, uh, version of the stand. Uh, he was in that breakout performance of Sonic the Hedgehog, that film that just came out. And he's been in Westworld. He plays Teddy there. He's in 30 Rock, had a great role there. And he was Prince Charming or whatever his name was in Enchanted, which I love his role in that movie. Yeah, I have not seen that. But uh, it, uh, the other notes I had for him, he was in the that 90s flick uh, Disturbing Behavior, which uh, that's a that's a real fun, um, like, I guess, psychological thriller in that. Um, and he was also in Superman Returns. Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> he was, uh, yeah, he was the one that he was the one that's like Superman came back. It's like you're with him, and it's like, yeah, the Cyclops and Superman's like, ah, you could do better than that. Um, no, but he plays like I said, he's like the Prince Charming guy in Enchanted, which is the it kind of takes the the piss out of like the Disney princess formula a lot, and it's a live action. And he's really good at this prince that is expected to like get the princess, and he's just like kind of arrogant and dumb. So when he ends up in the real world, he's like. He's just kind of happy with everything around him, like TV and everything. He's just, he's really good at it. Um, but yeah, I like James Marsden. Um, and, and then the next person we have is Amy Smart as Ginny. Um, for some reason, I thought I would have seen her in a lot more stuff because Amy Smart, she definitely has a distinct look and um, she's a very, you know, very cute girl. And I, she's a very 90s, like, cute girl. Um, but all I have her from that I can really recall is she was a Starship Troopers for a half second, the butterfly effect that Alexander Aja film from 2008 called mirrors, which I completely forgot about until I looked her up. Um, and then she's been currently in uh, the CW show star girl. Hmm. Uh, the notes I had for her, um, she, she was in a really good um, psychological uh, horror film called strange land that was uh, written by D Snyder. I love that film again, not aged well, but uh, it <laughs> actually has kind of a, a vibe connected to this film in a later story and then she was also in the movie just friends that's which true, uh, that's what i know her from the most because I, like i love that move that movie it's probably one of the better um rom-coms honestly i'm not seeing i know it has ryan reynolds in a fat suit and then not i know that so um but yeah like i, I like amy smart and then we have uh, frederick lawrence as rock and rob and he, I just see he ends up with like a lot of bit parts in movies and he's done a lot more production work. So that's all I got for the cast of this section of the movie, the hook. Yep. That's all I had to, cause it, it was a really quick 
story and uh we didn't have very many characters so, yep. yeah so i mean i don't know how far you want to go into this other than like i could appreciate that the, the movie starts off in black and white you got this couple like you got eddie and uh, jenny making out in this car and you hear like it's i i think it's a like i i knew the song that was playing so like i was like well there's money um that's on you know not being shown on the screen but you get you get the the urban legend of the couple out making out and they hear on the radio that there is a, a killer with a hook out there killing people. And, um, Eddie just wants to, you know, he wants to get his Marston's James, you know, whatever. And, uh, Amy is kind of, sorry, Jenny's not all about it. Cause she keeps thinks she hears something and it's, it's the urban legend that we all know. And it ends the exact same way as we all know. Yeah. It's, this is a fun one. So yeah. Um, she, she convinces Eddie to, to get out of there. Um, she keeps on seeing some, hears something, whatever. And um, they go to was a drive up diner and, uh, Eddie's going to get a burger. And as he's going to get the burger, uh, Jenny asks him for a milkshake. And when he turns around to figure out what the hell she wants, he is like horrified to see that the hook from the, the, the raging psycho that got out of the mental institution is on the door. It's hanging from the door. Yeah. I just, I like that he's up the, to the, to the uh, burger stand where he's like women, right? Like what? Like, it's like, you didn't need to say that, but, um, but yeah, his look on his face, he actually sold it pretty well. So that was um, an effective start to the movie. But my question to you, knowing what we know about this film and after watching it, and I, I ended up watching it like twice in 24 hours, not one just to watch and one, you know, cause I care about our conversation. I care about you, Terry, and I care about the show and our listeners. Um, does this not kind of feel like that they shot the movie they're going to shoot? And then they're like, shit, we need like 15 more minutes to make this feature length. And we got to scrounge for some money and some new actors. I, I, I mean, that's possible. I, I don't know if that really was the case. Um, it, I, I don't know. I think it would, it laid the groundwork well. So if this was their intention to plan it out like this initially, then I think it was effective, but um, yeah, I don't know if they, they went back and shot more scenes. It, it would make sense. It ends up happening quite a bit in film. Okay. So, I mean, cause like tonally it doesn't feel, I mean, with it being black and white and then it does the transition to the title card and then we get to, uh, our quote unquote main cast and what, what's about to happen here. Um, I get that. It's like, you know, you could, you can, um, dovetail in like that into the conversation of something being, you know, going on. Right. So, but it does kind of feel to me, it feels totally a little out of place with the rest of it, but that's just me. But, uh, we can, we can talk about the tone of this when we get through all of it. So, um, did you have anything else about the hook that you want to talk about specifically now before we go on to the next bit? Nope, that was it. Cool. That's that's all, right. all wrapped up. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right. So the hook, it got you, right? So all right. So the next bit we have here is uh, called the campfire, um, and we'll get more into wh- why that is what it is. Uh, uh, cast we have Christopher Masterson as Eric, um, who looks like a young um, um, what's his name? Uh, you know, bring it sexy Timberlake. back, Justin Timberlake. Yes, thank you. I was like, why? Like, why am my brain f- uh, failing on that? But. I, I know him most from Francis as the older brother and Malcolm in the middle. Um, but I saw that he was in American history X and he was in scary movie too. Uh, he's, he's still working, but he's not doing a whole lot now. Yeah. Those were the only credits that I had noted for him. Um, I don't, I don't really recall him from anything else. I mean, I love American history X in its own way, 
um, but I don't remember him from the film. Yeah, I, but he was really good as Francis in Malcolm in the Middle. That show is actually really, really great. And, you know, like I know the joke is that that's the prequel to Breaking Bad, but, you know, I still <laughs> I still liked him in that. But uh, next person we have here is J.R. Ferguson as Cliff. Um, his face looked like I was like, I, I think I know this guy that I looked at him now. You want to talk about somebody that grew into their face and having a beard makes them look like a different and more attractive person. That's this guy. Like he, he needed time to kind of, he needed to take some more time in the oven. Cause where he's at in this film with that, like Frankenstein haircut, that was not doing it for me. He just looked like a weirdo. <laughs> he, he looked like the one dude off of Dawson's Creek. I can't. I, <laughs> Pacey? Don't, I don't know. I don't know. Um, yeah. I, I don't watch Dawson's Creek or I have not. Um, I just, I just write fan fiction of it, but, uh, yeah, anyway, um, I, you know, he was in the Connors or he's currently in the show, the Connors, which is the, the, the continuation of Roseanne. He's been in the newer twin peaks. Uh, he, he was in mad men, which I should have picked up on that, but in my notes here, I wrote it as a um, man men, which that's a way different show. <laughs> that's why I grew the beard. He's, born he's man a man part of man men. Um, but yeah, like, I mean, uh, Mad Men's an amazing show and it's been a long time since I've, I've visited the series, but he was in it for a lot. So I'm sure if I, if I watch it, I'd be like, that's him. But I, but I, but he's immediately recognizable now. It just, it took me a minute. Like, you know, in this movie, I, I didn't place it until I saw him now. Yeah. Uh, for my notes, I, uh, he made his, uh, kind of big break, I guess for, um, for like 90 some odd episodes or whatever in evening shade, which we've talked about that in the past when we've covered some episodes of twilight zone. Um, so it's made its round back here again. Look, look at and, that, uh, look at that yeah, Terry like, dancing around, like, um, talking about the bard connection. He, you know, he wants to talk about the bard some more. Look at that. I, you know, some, some <laughs> Burt Reynolds. I get it. No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so I, I definitely know him from the Connors when I realized, who it was on the Connors. I was actually pretty floored because the dude looks completely different. Yeah. I love him in the Connors. I think he's a, um, he's a good, he's a good role in that show. He plays, um, Darlene's boyfriend in it. Okay. Uh, actually, that's not going to be the only, uh, Roseanne and Darlene connection here. Uh, we go through this. Um, but yeah, I, I've not seen the Connors. It looks like something I'd like. I mean, I love John Goodman. I just have not watched the show. Is it, is it worth the time? I think so. I think that the writing is still solid. I'm I'm a really big Roseanne the show fan. Um, so not Roseanne the person. Uh, but yeah, I I've always loved Roseanne, and uh, the Connors picks up right where it left off. Um, since she left the show, I think it's still solid. <laughs> left the show. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, moving on. Uh, Christine Taylor as Lauren. Um, I, you know, uh, she has been Sally Sitwell on Arrested Development. Uh, she's been in Zoolander, um, Dodgeball, uh, three episodes of the show Friends in 1997. So it just tells you where her career was about to go, uh, from this. Uh, uh, what I remember from originally though, that she played, uh, Marsha Brady in the Brady Bunch movie in a very Brady sequel. Um, and I see she was also in Night of the Demons 2. And the reason a lot of people probably know her now is because she's married to Ben Stiller. Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, she, she's in a lot of stuff that I've seen. I tried to keep the notes tight, um, for her. Uh, she was also in wedding singer, which is one of my favorite, um, like rom-coms of all time. Actually, it is my favorite. I'll, I'll just admit it. Um, <laughs> and this, this note really surprised me. She was in like a long stint of Hey Dude, the Nickelodeon show. 
I have no clue. Okay. That was ridiculous. I was, I was like, wow. Uh, yeah, I kind of watched that show, sort of. <laughs> I mean, like, you got you to watch something after if Salute Your Shorts isn't on, right? So that's what you got to do. Um, so, um, I, you know, that, that felt like maybe that was my time, but maybe a little, a little past my time. But I will say, give me an episode of The Adventures of Pete and Pete any day, because that shit was really funny. So I'll say that. Um, I don't know if you watch Pete and Pete. That show was actually really, really funny. Maybe maybe it's something I could get into now, but at the time, I just I don't know. I couldn't dig it. <laughs> I don't know why. Fair enough. Uh, Iggy Pop what plays a father. Like, he plays a loving father to a daughter. So just do you think think about that for a bit? <clears throat> was he a reoccurring member yes, of the cast? I think he was. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. All so right, watch anyway, <laughs> that's that's neither here nor there. I I like Christine Taylor. I think she has a good comedic timing. She holds her own more. She like it, it isn't like oh she's married to Ben Stiller. It's like you can't be married to someone like him and not have like the sense of humor and be able to keep up with them. You know, like she's good in Zoolander playing like the straight laced like reporter investigating everything, and I like it. Just I I like her and she she is just strikingly similar to the actress that plays uh, Marsha. Like that was the big thing for those Brady movies. It's like, holy shit, they found a younger Marsha Brady. Um, but yeah, I, um, I do like her. Um, last person of this per- portion with the campfire, and we'll talk about the story and we'll weave in and out of that. Uh, Kim Murphy as Alex. I thought she kind of looked kind of familiar. She stopped working in 2008. I don't know her from anything else. Yeah, I, the only thing that I even knew of her um, IMDb was City of Angels, and that was the Nicolas Cage film. Uh, that's all I knew. Yeah, that's my, I guess, I here, I've not seen City of Angels, but it's my second favorite Meg Ryan movie. Um, actually, that's not true. She um, does, does, she doesn't die in that film. It's is it Nick, No, she gets hit by a logging truck, right? Yeah, she, she does die at the yeah, end. Yeah, okay, so uh, that's so my second favorite like, Meg Ryan okay. movie. My first one is uh, Courage Under Fire, because she ends up getting killed like four times in that movie. That's my my ratings of Meg Ryan movies right there. That's you know, just leave it there. People can can yell at me later. It's fine. Yeah. So uh, that's, uh, <laughs> that's pretty much. <laughs> um. Anyway. Yeah, so so the hate mail being typed out right now. Typed out. <laughs> oh, the typewriter like. Tick, 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 like you know, yeah. like as they're listening to <laughs> as they're listening to Iris on repeat by the Goo Goo Dolls, they're like, "How dare you, sir? Talk about Meg Ryan being killed." You know, yeah, you, you have to bleed just to know you're alive, you know, anyway. So, um, yes. So Terry, tell us, get us into, um, the campfire segment here and then we'll go. There's, there's three other stories here, but this is the big one. Okay. So yeah, it, it, as of the opening credits are going, uh, for the film, we see the car going down the road. We don't actually see our characters in the car. But we hear their voices uh, trying to tell Cliff to, you know, relax on the road. He's driving like a maniac and uh, he doesn't pay any attention to him. He's just being, you know, a dick. Uh, They're coming back from a concert. So they're just trying to make good time. And as that happens, um, you hear them go off of the road. So now you see them outside the car and the car is down like an embankment and definitely not drivable. So they're not going anywhere for the rest of the night until they, they get help. Yeah. Uh, uh, they set up flares on the road too. 
Yeah, I'm sorry. I thought you were uh, pausing for me to say something stupid, and I had nothing. But yeah, you're right. Uh, I was still thinking about Meg Ryan getting. Um, you know, anyway, th- that's neither near there. But yeah, they come they come up on the edge of the road and uh, they do the flares, and then they decide they're going to wander off for a minute because, like, you know, they're kids, and they go uh, like one of them. One of them sees something in the distance. And they end up finding out like the remains of like this, um, like just abandoned church, right? And then that's where they kind of set up shop. Uh, to wait uh, for help to come. And so, and then in the meantime, like to just kind of pass the time, that's when they ask Cliff or Cliff kind of, he's <laughs> Cliff is an asshole. Let's just be honest. He's just an asshole the entire time. And he's like, he's ribbon. Um, uh, let's see. What's his name? Um, Eric. Cause Eric's the youngest one. He keeps, he's kind of ribbon on him. He's dating uh, Lauren for reasons I can't understand. And he's like, a, he's a piece of shit to Alex. Like, but he's like, okay, guys, I'll just, I'll tell you the scary story. It's like, like, you know, you're, you're never supposed to really like him, but I feel like, you know, you didn't have to make him like that, like turn to 11. Yeah. Yeah. He's like peacocking the entire, the entire time, just being a dick and everything. Um, but you know, it's like, or whatever, at least he is our narrator in some sense. So we don't have to necessarily see him often. Um, but <laughs> He's keeping the storyline going along. So they find a newspaper and they're they're reading it and it says something about psycho killers in the area. And they're like, they, they talk about what we actually had our intro. That was them talking about the Rick and Valerie story. We'll tell them the Rick and Valerie story. So we're getting into the Rick and Valerie story now around the campfire. Yeah. So this uh, segues into the segment called The Honeymoon, where we get uh, Ron Livingston as Rick. Um, which people would know him from Office Space mainly, uh, but he's been in other stuff too. He was uh, he was a pretty good straight lead in, in The Conjuring, even though he wasn't like the lead. Um, as much as I, a lot of people love The Conjuring, it's a well done film. He's good at it. I'll say that. Um, he was in Boardwalk Empire, and recently he had a bit part in a film that I did like, a uh, little uneven. The film is called The Man Who Killed Hitler, and then uh, The Bigfoot, that has um, Sam Elliott in the lead. That's actually a pretty cool movie. Yeah, I have to check that one out. That 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 looked pretty uh pretty uh entertaining. Yeah, it's it's like it's not campy. It's like serious. <laughs> like it's weird having Sam Elliott like live with this knowledge that like he killed Hitler and and he can't tell people. And it's like it's this weird it's it's not a bad movie. It's Sam Elliott being a guy that, you know, killed Hitler and then the Bigfoot. Yeah, that's awesome. I'd say I love Sam Elliott too. So, yeah. I'm definitely going to be watching that sometime soon. Um uh, other otherwise uh, for Ron, uh, we have uh, he was in Band of Brothers as well. Oh, yeah. the, the World War Two, yeah, uh, series that was on Showtime, I think. Uh, so, HBO, yeah, I think it was HBO. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then I also have him. He was in one episode. I forgot TNT did this. Was uh, Nightmares and Dreamscapes, which was um, a Stephen King anthology series. Which you know we should look that up and see what's going on with it. Um, I've completely forgot this thing existed for a season. Yeah, I, w- I meant when it came out, I meant to watch it, but for some reason, I just didn't get a chance to. Uh, I did watch one of the episodes with uh, little little green army men, so that was fun. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's definitely something I have to get back to because I I am a Stephen King fanboy, so um, I, yeah, I'm good for that. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, so then we also have uh, Jennifer McDonald as Valerie. Um, not much from her other than there. 
Considering what we see of her in this segment, she's in a movie called uh, Headless Body in a Topless Bar. So there's that. Uh, and then she also had a like a one one episode uh, role in the Adventures of Briscoe County Jr. So anytime you see uh, see that, you got to shout it out. Okay, cool. Yeah, that's all. I I didn't really have uh, any notes for her. I didn't recognize anything that she was in, unfortunately. Yeah, um, like she had one of those faces. Like she like she looked familiar, and I thought maybe she was. Um, uh, what is it? I was like, does Juliet Lewis have like a sister? Like, I just, it felt like, you know, not that far off from each other. But anyway, uh, we have, uh, Hawthorne James's Cole, um, very recognizable character actor. Um, what I have him from though, is he was George, the night guard at the library in seven. And you tell Morgan Friedman that they're closing. I remember a very distinct look. He was in Snoop Dogg's hood of horror, which, um, I will, I will pay you money, Terry. I will pay you. I don't just tell me a sum for us to never talk about that film on this podcast. Oh, oh okay. Well, I didn't know it was that kind of scenario. I thought you were going to say, dude, you need to watch this movie. I'll pay you anything to watch I it. Did not like it. It's, it's one, it's one of my wife's favorites. And I'm just like, this is not, this is not doing anything for me. Yeah. Well, I'm not really a big Snoop Dogg fan. So I, I, as much as I love horror, um, it's a horror it's, anthology. I mean, it would qualify for the show, but I'd say watch uh, uh, watch Tales from the Hood. That's a much better film. Hell yeah, man. I love Tales from the Hood. Um, yeah, the other notes I have for Mr. James was uh, he was also in Speed. Uh, he was trapped on the bus, uh, and uh, he was also in The Doors. Oh, movie. nice. And I also show he was in Adventures of Bruce County Jr., so another connection there. So, um all right, so then I have uh, Stuart J. Zully uh, as Deputy Munson. I just bit bit character actor, forty eight roles. So that that's the the people we have in this this segment. So uh, here you go. Um, just yeah, you know, here Terry, tell us what what is the honeymoon about, and can you please explain Ron Livingston's terrible accent in this uh, in this segment? So I, I assume that they're supposed to be portraying like I don't know a Brooklyn couple or something. But I don't know how many Brooklyn couples are able to get an RV and keep it anywhere. So <laughs> I don't know. But uh, yeah, so we see um, Rick and Valerie. They are driving down the road um, to a wooded area uh, at night. And uh, apparently they're going to um, some kind of caverns that um, there was like a Donner, Donner Party type incident that happened there. Valerie does not seem intrigued at all so she's like whatever but what what are we going to do when we get there it's nighttime <laughs> so, so so they park for a minute and they're trying to figure out what they're going to do well they just end up doing it so in the middle of the woods they're going at it well it's in an rv like so like at least you know it isn't like they like they're out in like that cavern where it's like i think there's a skull on the wall you know Okay, well, yeah, I guess I should have prefaced that. They're still in the RV, and they get it on. Um, but they're literally in the middle of the woods. Um, no lights, anything, no civilization at all. And um, while they're just basking in the afterglow, um, they hear some noises outside. And when they go outside to investigate what's going on, they find uh, Cole, uh, Mr. James's character, um, with a shotgun and a flashlight. And there's not much of an exchange of why in the hell the dude is there yet. Um, so Valerie offers up, you know, hey, you know, we got money. He says, ah, I don't want your money. He's like, 
what are you guys doing out here? What the hell, you know, like you guys shouldn't be out here right now. And they're like, what, well, what's the problem? It's like, don't you see these tracks around your RV? It's, it's the moon is full. They come out to feed when it's full. And then all of a sudden they hear a crow squawk. And of course, uh, Cole gets freaked out for a second and just starts panning around looking. Um, and Rick says, no, it's just a crow. It's like, crows don't squawk like that unless they're stirred. <laughs> so he's already, he's already scaring the crap out of Rick and Valerie with the, the shotgun. But now he's telling these like super goofy little stories about what like is lurking in the night and surrounding their, uh, their RV. So I, I, I could already see the look of doubt in Rick's face. Like, Oh, okay, guy. <laughs> what what happened? <laughs> they, did, they didn't have this back in New York, you know, whatever the hell he was saying. I like, just whatever. But yeah. Um, so can I, I just want to also point out though, there, the, this is actually a big plot point where, um, after they, they have the first sex, um, and then he goes outside to, to see what's going on. She's like, Oh, what happens? Like, I just twisted my ankle. It's like, okay, well, um, I've twisted my ankle. I don't just like be like, Oh yeah, I'm good. You know, her on again, off again, uh, severity of ankle sprain really bugged me this entire segment. Yeah, they didn't, they didn't really carry that part of the story, um, along too well. But, you know, it is what it is, and it, it is kind of the nagging uh, situation that carries the rest of the story. Well, um, yeah, because yeah, yeah, after they – sorry. I, I, so they move forward at that point. They they go ahead, and then they run out of gas, right? So then, like, uh, that's – I think that's when they decide they're just going to have sex a second time. Isn't that – like, that's where, we're, that's where we're at with that? Yeah, it was just like, <laughs> well, what else, what else are we going to do? Let's get yeah. it on again. So yeah. uh, kudos to Rick uh, for having the libido that he has. <laughs> yeah, <So>. right. <laughs> um, but I was going to point out, though, for what they were doing, and we're not going to go into the specifics, um, her ankle, if it was strained, would not be able to do that. Just saying if it was a sprained ankle, I don't think what was going on. Wait, it could have been physically possible. It would not have been enjoyable. Uh, uh, yeah that scene is really creepy too um like her hands against the window and then all of a sudden you see two hands from outside of the window kind of reach up and caress the glass where her hands are it's really kind of effective and creepy to me but um yeah so they're done uh rick runs outside and of course has to announce to the the lake that he just got <laughs> great sex <laughs> You know, as you do, you know, like, you know, like these pipes are clean or whatever, you know? Um, so, um, yeah. So then all of a sudden, like, you know, her ankle starts to flare up again, you know, cause I mean, I guess clearly, um, you know, bang and makes the swelling go down, which that seems counterintuitive to me. Uh, so, um, he, he decides that he's going to go try to get some help. And then he's like, Oh, you can't be like infirmed all night. He's like, we're going to have sex like every 15 minutes or whatever. And so she has like a little tiny ice bag or whatever. Like she ends up like sitting it out, but he tells her, he's like, I'm going to go find a state gas station, wake somebody up, go take care of this. And then she's like, okay. And he was like, okay, just so you know, I'm going to have a secret knock, a secret code that, you know, it's me. Um, what did you think of the secret code that he gave her? Sucked. I mean, like <laughs> there wasn't much, 
could we have just used a password or something yeah, or here, say, Hey, <laughs> it's me. <laughs> Here's the secret code. You guys ready for it? That's your secret code. I don't know if, if Terry could hear that. If he could, he should let me into the RV. Yeah. That, yeah. That was, it was stupid. It's stupid. <laughs> like like I, they didn't even pay it off later where it's like, you know, I mean a little bit where you get the banging at the door, but it'd been great. Or if you would have heard like, you know, Like, oh no, it's not him. He delayed for the fourth knock, you know, but it didn't even happen. But anyway, so she asked for M&Ms and he's like, yeah, I can do that, you know, with peanuts, whatever. But I also want to point out that uh, as he's like getting ready to walk outside, he goes and he grabs a crowbar and shoves it in his pocket and then closes his jacket over top of it, like to hide it, like he's carrying a gun. Like, I don't know if that was supposed to be for comedy and also the fact that, like, the other guy warned them about the crows at night, so he's taking a literal crowbar with him. I I hope it was for humor. It just didn't play that way for me. Like, I laughed, but not, you know, I don't think I laughed for the reasons. If, if it was trying to be funny, I don't think it, it, it connected. No, it, I, it wasn't funny. And I, um, before we get any further, while this whole, you know, another round of sex is going on. Um, they show Cole still at his truck, uh, basically get obliterated by those creatures that were out there. Yeah. Um, so then at that point we end up getting Ricky, uh, Ricky, Rick, you know, I, I didn't like this couple either. Let's <laughs> just put it this way. Uh, I was angrier than the second time I watched this film. Uh, and he's just like, okay. And he, you know, goes out to do whatever. And he ends up coming across the truck and sees like all the blood and, and he ends up, uh, you know, fall. Like, I think he slips and ends up putting his hand out and picking up, um, a jaw, like, uh, you know, like, like that was, uh, Cole's jaw. And that's actually a pretty gruesome looking, uh, piece. Like I, I also feel like the people doing some of the practical effects knew what they were doing. I just don't think that the people shooting them knew how to shoot them properly. Yeah, I, I'll agree with you on that one. I, it's pretty sweet in how, um, like stark the image is mm -hmm. and, and, you know, like he's, he actually has it like attached to his back. So when he peels it off, you can like hear that like sticky gooey, like crappy noise, you know, of like peeling. And when he shines a light on it, it, it looks effective, man. I actually, I like that part a lot. And I think, uh, um, there's some kudos that need to be sent out to whoever did the makeup for that. That looks, they look pretty sweet. It did. So that gets him on running back to the RV. But then in the meantime, uh, I, I just want to point out. So we got, we get her sitting on the bed, uh, like in the RV with a little tiny ice pack on her ankle. Like talk about a character that just shifts immediately. Cause she's been kind of like in a, like an angry mood other than when the sex is happening. And then all of a sudden the song it's playing that she's listening to now, she's all about it, but she didn't like it at the beginning of the segment. It was just a very weird thing. She seemed overly happy singing that song right then. And it just felt completely out of place with the rest of the segment. Yeah. She's, uh, cause her husband's not there. It seems like she was. Most <laughs> yeah. Probably because of that, that accent. <laughs> That's true. You know, she's like, I can hear regular words spoken regularly. Um, but I, and I wrote in my notes here, gotta pause that disc man. Cause it's 1997. <laughs> you know, like you gotta, you gotta show the current tech. That's never going to age out. Uh, but so the RV gets attacked. 
Uh, the one part I liked is that she uh, stabbed something was reaching in from like not it's it's it looks like a skylight, but I figure it's like the emergency hatch or whatever you can pop on the top of the RV. It's reaching in and she stabs it. And I just like that the 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 the, the pole stays there for a minute and then it just like lashes back and forth and then gets sucked up. That just felt very Muppety to me and I liked it. Yeah. Um be uh prior to that though, um they did show that Rick gets attacked by Oh, that's right. Crew. Yeah. Uh they were like on the, the truck bed hiding and they, they snuck up on him. And they must have crushed his uh larynx or something like that's that right. because as he's running back to the RV, he's trying to scream Valerie's name, but it's like it's so hoarsed and like almost like a whisper, you can tell that something happened to his throat. Yeah, you're right. Sorry, I skipped over that. I thought that was going to pay off. I really, really thought that was going to pay off, and it really didn't. But so we got him trying to get back to the RV after you know getting throat chopped and her dealing with everything going on. And um, once finally one of the one of the things makes itself known, we don't even get a good look at it unless you got a better look at it than myself. I just saw like a brief face. Uh, like bust through the the door glass and uh, she uses mace, which is a smart move to, to make them like go away. But we never really get a good image of, of these things at all. That's attacking the RV and the couple. I I think that was a good call. Um, They probably didn't have a whole lot of time to invest on good makeup for these things. Like the brief, uh, the brief shot I saw of the face of the creature didn't look that great. So I'm glad that they, they chose not to really show it. And honestly, I, I, I really dig not showing too much sometimes like just having like slight images or, uh, the idea of the creature is sometimes more terrifying to me. And I agree with you completely, but if you're going to set this narrative up, that it's like these, like, you know, when the moon's full and the, and the crows are disturbed and it's supposed to be like, like if you look at the credits, the three people that are doing the attacking are listed as crows, like one, two, and three. Like it's supposed to be like crow people, right? Which I mean, I don't even know what that means, but like if you're trying to get that across, which I really didn't get until the second time through hearing some of the noises, I just kind of took it as like, this is some bad woods and bad things are happening. And these guys have kind of claws, but that's about it. Like I didn't get like, that was supposed to be crows. I just heard like the rustling of like, you know, wildlife. Cause the guy said, He's like, crows don't make noise like this unless they're disturbed. It's like, well, then that crow's pissed off and it's leaving, you know? Like, I didn't think these were crow people. Yeah, I don't know what the hell they were supposed to be, honestly. If they were, my, my, my idea was more along the lines of they're probably just like some toothless hillbillies that are out in the, out in there that are all jacked up on like inbreeding and stuff like that. <laughs> so it's a precursor to wrong turn. I got a head full of steam because my my daddy's my brother. Woo! You know, whatever. Anyway, uh, I just I think it would have been great, though, because like at one point, uh, Cole says, look at all the footprints all around this. Like they've been here. If they would have looked down and you just saw giant footprints that were bird prints, like bird footprints all over, like I'm talking like almost like big bird sized footprints all around the RV. That would have been wonderful to be like, oh, shit, there's giant bird people like stalking this RV. Yeah, there was a couple of failed opportunities here to do more to uh, increase the fear, increase the the possible danger. Yeah, like I the foot the, the footstep thing could have been so easily done. Yeah. I don't know why they didn't go for that. Like they didn't have to go as cartoonish as like I said, but like make it look like you know you know non human 
or, or close to human, right? Something not right. And I think that would have put more like uh, a little bit more pep in this. But anyway, so um, you know, we uh, we get um, we get her. Uh, well, the other the other smart move, and I'll give credit to this, is uh, whenever um, Valerie actually like she takes one of her other um, like like non-fatal things. It's like a loud, like sonic alarm that she pulls the tab off of, which again, I think that's more of a rape preventative thing of like, we're just going to like, it sounds like a car alarm, just light it up. Um, and that scares them all away. That's kind of a smart move. Like I actually, like, I wish there was more of that smart thinking through all of this, but that's how she gets to daylight. And I thought that was kind of, kind of a nice move. Yeah. She was definitely, uh, not going to be taken, uh, quietly into the night. Like I'm glad that she was like the final girl, fight for your, your life kind of um you know mentality this entire time so she turned into a kind of a badass honestly yeah except that whole ankle thing but uh so <laughs> yeah so then in the morning the the sheriff comes and you know in, in, like you kind of hear some stuff going on outside and again i don't think the movie did a great job of uh front selling what is supposed to be happening like because i didn't pick up on it the first time through and then the second time i knew to pay attention to it and it still didn't come out that well he, the sheriff sees her is like, come on out. Like, it's okay. Uh, but I need you to come with me. Like, just, just, just come with me. Like basically doing the thing of like, don't look back. It's bad. You, you'll regret it. And then she looks up and then she sees, um, Ricky Rick upside down, like, like eviscerated bleeding out and decent gore shot, but his wedding ring has been scraping across the top of the RV. Um, you know, that, that noise, it, it just didn't, it, none of it seemed off putting the first time through until they finally showed it. You know, it wasn't like you didn't get that shot of her in the nighttime, finally quiet and just hearing that, like that thing, I think that would have set in a little better, you know? I agree. Yeah. It didn't seem to start resonating until like she was about to get out of the RV and I, th- I thought it would have been a hell of a lot more eerie if she had just heard it at least like for a couple of hours prior to yeah. daylight. So, yeah. But, you know, it, it is what it is. I did like the the shot, though, for when she discovers what the deputy is trying to make sure that she doesn't see. She looks down at his uh, sunglasses and sees the reflection of the body hanging above the RV. So I thought that was a pretty effective uh, shot, too. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it's just it's one of these segments that, like again, like I'll save my thoughts for the whole movie at the end. It's just, you know, decent bones, but again, it's you know, it, you know, it, it it's it it told a story. I just wish there was a little bit more connectivity to it. But but <laughs> when we get back to the campfire and we have Cliff finishing the story, his his description of what the sound of a ring scraping across an RV is one of the worst things I've heard in a movie in a long time. <laughs> I'm pl- I'm surprised you didn't get uh, an audio clip of it. you know whatever um so yeah that that's that segment so then we get more of the bridge um all i have from this middle part about the bridge is that uh is that lauren tells a wonderful story about nosebleeds and then starts crying (laughs) yeah there, there wasn't like it was trying to give you more emotion about these characters but i felt like this bridge was kind of goofy and not needed but you know we we just get more of them and uh there's little hints of cliff is hearing things he's not sure what the hell they are but he's hearing something out in the woods uh but 
you know, it doesn't really lead to anything. So they start to tell another story. Yeah. So they, that's what so, yeah. Um, two things. One, I want to point out that Lauren and her brother, Eric, I think it's his name. Um, they mentioned something yeah. about a dog and they mentioned the dog's name is Dante. That feels a little on the nose once we get to where we're going. But, um, but I, yeah, it's like, I also feel like, doesn't this kind of break the rule of the anthology where it's like, Hey, there's four of us here around a campfire. Hey, Cliff, tell us a second story. You know, like, it feels like you have people like, why wouldn't you have, like, you do get a third story from a different person later, but it feels like that to me, that feels like a little bit of a wasted opportunity that you could at least had like the idea of people's different perspectives of what's scary. Yeah. And I think Cliff actually told the, uh, the hook story in the car too. So why is he our main storyteller? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I blame him for, uh, for that terrible accent in that last segment. Now, uh, so, uh, this segment that we're not going to say the name of until we get to the end of the segment, I think, uh, Terry would appreciate that for anybody listening. Um, you know, if you've not seen the movie movie, we'll get the, the name of the segment kind of gives away what it's all about. So we'll get there when we get there. Um, so we have, let's see here. Who do we have in this? Uh, Alex McKenna as Amanda. Uh, she's the, the, the lead of this. She's the young girl. Uh, she was in an episode of Malcolm in the middle. So I thought that was funny. Uh, she's a voice in red dead redemption too. And she's, she's still working, but not a lot of things I know. Yeah. The only thing I knew her from is this God awful, uh, Tom Arnold film called the stupids. (laughs) (laughs) I've heard the name of the film. I've never seen it. It is stupid. It should be, it, it should literally be wiped out of existence. It is a terrible film. So, yeah, sorry, Tom Arnold, but uh, you've made better choices. Uh, not not <laughs> very many, but <laughs> Stupids was not one of them. Um, but yeah, so yeah, that's all I had for her. Yeah, uh, it just makes me think of Wayne's World where it's like, the shitty Beatles is not just a catchy name. Dude, they suck, you know, <laughs> but anyway, the Stupids. <laughs> all right. Uh, all right. Uh, so we got Devin Odessa as Catherine. I think that's the older sister, which when I first watched this, I'm like, did they just bring the same girl in from the last segment? Like she looked a lot like Valerie. I was like, is this going to be a thing where like there's different actors playing different roles in these segments? And that turns out to be true, but not the way I thought. I thought this was the same girl for a second. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe with just a lot more hair because her hair was pretty teased up. And That's she true. Had a real skin tight, uh, uh, mm-hmm. a night, night. It looked like a nightgown or something. <laughs> like it didn't look like it was supposed to be worn to school. No, <laughs> no. But uh, so I have, I guess her big, big thing, which is she was 19 episodes of my so-called life. I also have her listed as a role in a uh, pumpkin head. I don't know where she was in that. I've only seen that film once. I need to revisit it because it was actually pretty cool. I think for her age, she yeah. was probably one of the uh, the um, the little girls that were part of the like the backwoods family okay. that warns about pumpkinhead. Yeah, um, yeah. Anyway, I'd like to revisit that because uh, Lance Henderson's actually pretty amazing in that. But anyway, that's all I got for her. Yeah, that, that's all I had as well was the pumpkinhead thing. Um, so yeah, uh, next I guess we have Jonathan Fuller. Um, he he just seems like a character actor um, for everything I've seen. Um, he plays, he plays, uh, he plays a role. We'll, we'll, <laughs> he plays a role. We don't want to give, if we don't want to give away yeah, the that's, title, that's completely like, fair. Shouldn't give away. Um, yeah. I have him um, listed. I'm sorry. I have him listed as cat in castle freak, which I've not seen. 
I've heard good things about that. And then Albert Pyun's Arcade from 1993. Castle Freak is really good. I like Castle Freak a lot. Um, I love Lovecraft, um, uh, like crossover films and stuff. Uh, and um, it's got a really good cast. Uh, Barbara, Barbara Crampton's in it. It's what's well, directed yeah. by um what's his name um shoot uh the guy did a uh, reanimator right it's uh there's in Castle Freak one yeah. of his yeah um shit I just yeah I have Albert Pugh written down but not the other guy um but um Stuart Gordon that's it right yeah yep. he directed that so uh so yeah I um and I just wanted to mention Albert Pugh because it's like you want to talk about somebody that's made some movies that aren't great there you go that's that arcade uh, I also have here listed um what was it uh just the the um Michael Dempsey's the father. Uh, character actor, 130 credits. So the guy's a working, you know, working man. Suzanne Goddard Smythe as the mom. Um, this is just interesting because she did do some acting, but her big, 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 big uh, claim to fame is she's a casting director and she's casted. She's still working, doing casting directings for a lot of TV shows. A lot of them, I don't know if someone had guessed their Canadian productions, but um, there's a game that came out, was it two years ago called Detroit Become Human? that she did the casting on. And that was, there was a lot of motion capture in that. And, uh, uh, Lance Henderson's in that game, but she's, um, she's still working and she's done a lot of casting director stuff. Yeah. Cool. I, I didn't even actually list her because she plays such a small role in this story, but yeah, that's awesome, man. Uh, I would, she, yeah. I wouldn't have listened if, if I just didn't see like, Holy shit. She's actually known for something entirely different, you know, kind of, you know, recognize it when you see it. Yeah, and her last acting credit is this movie, so that's kind of interesting. So yeah, hmm. so all right, uh, yeah, Terry, lead us into the segment that should not be named until the very end. Okay, so we see Amanda rushing home after school. Uh, apparently, it's the day before her twelfth birthday. Uh, rushes in to ask her father about the bike that she uh, she asked for for her birthday, and of course, her dad's playing aloof, whatever, and they they shrug it off. Um, now comes in the sister, um, and apparently the dad and the mom of Amanda are going to a parent teacher conference that night. So they're going to be out for a while. Um, the dad leaves them some money to get some, get some pizza or something like that. So, uh, fast forward just a tad to, um, Amanda up in her room, uh, doing like, I guess this would be like. AOL messaging back in the day that the equivalent. Yeah, I um, guess it, it is. It is the least convincing chat room I've ever seen portrayed in a film. Yeah. Uh, well, just watch strange land. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you might question that then. Um, but yeah, so we see Amanda talking to a girl named Jessica uh, through this chat and uh, she must be like, not supposed to be on the computer looking at that stuff or doing that stuff because as soon as her mom comes into her room, she clicks off of the the page to another page. It looks like schoolwork or something like that. And the mom, you know, says, "Oh, you know, we're going to go to the conference, whatever. Um, we'll see you guys later." So, uh, so she goes back to the chat. And the the this Jessica girl is like, "Oh, where were you? Where are you? What did, what's going on?" Um, Says, oh, you know, my parents are just going to be um, leaving here in a minute. I had to, I had to talk to them. So, wait, you're going to be alone tonight? It's like, yeah. It's like, you're not scared. She's like, no, I got Odin, her dog. So, she's she feels protected. 
in that instant, we see a different um, setting. It's this weird, creepy, doll-filled room at somebody else's house. And it's this long-haired dude played uh, played by Jonathan Fuller, um, who has actually been uh, acting like Jessica through this chat message. So already laying some groundwork for some creepy shit, um, but it gets worse. Um, so yeah, we see back at Amanda's house, our, her her sister is a being a complete bitch to her, telling her <laughs> stay out of her room, stay off, you know, stay off my stuff, don't touch my hair dryer, I'll kill you. And she says that she's going out for the night. So we see Amanda go out to. Um, the backyard where Odin, the dog has been digging quite a bit and she's trying to figure out what the dog has been digging up. So as she's looking around in the darkness to see what's going on, we see a hand lower down to right about where her head is and kind of do a stroking motion over her head. And as soon as uh, Amanda's sister calls out to her. Um, the hand pulls back, and uh, Amanda rushes into the house to figure out what's going on. Yeah, she finds what uh, what the dog was like supposedly digging around. It was a pair of like old guard clippers, and she picks them up. And then like she's like, "Well, yeah, this is what you're finding." And then she when she rushes back, uh, that guy picks up the clippers. And I just I just looked at it, I was like, are, are these filmmakers a fan of the burning? Like that's what it felt like. I'm like, ugh. Talk about a movie that makes me feel uncomfortable, like with like looking at young girls and then got this going on. Um yeah, uh I just so going forward with this though, her sister, you know, supposedly goes out for the night and is actually kind of sweet to her for a second, where it's like, I'm gonna go. Um, I'm wearing the skin tight suit, probably not a good thing. Uh, my friend who doesn't want to say anything at all in this movie and has a blur in the background the entire time we're going. And then she's like, I hope you get your bike wink. And then suddenly they're best friends again. <laughs> like they're good. We're good. You know, like, Oh, you're being mean to me. You gave me $10 and you hope I get a bike. Thanks. We're sisters again. That in a weird, like we talk about things being totally weird and like all over the place. I do kind of get the notion of like siblings, like at each other's throats, but also at, have each other's backs. That felt like one of those moments to me. So I thought that was kind of a nice touch. Um, but then we get this whole sequence of um, like Amanda, like getting ready to go to bed. And I got to ask you, Terry, like I understand the segment is about like this, this, the, this, this weirdo, terrible person that's stalking this girl. And we didn't even talk about the weird uh, editing at the beginning of showing a VHS footage that we now realize it's been him filming her at that close distance, which is creepy. Um, I don't know if it is effectively done to let you know what's going on until like, you're like, Oh, that's what was going on. But until he literally puts a VHS tip and it says Amanda, I guess that would also tip us off. Um, the next like four or five minutes is just her getting ready and going to bed. I don't know if it was the right decision Cause it feels like we're being voyeuristic on her when we're supposed to be on her side. And that felt really uncomfortable and not in a good horror movie way. Yeah. I, I, I didn't really dig. That's how they were portraying the scene. The only thing that was somewhat comical about it is I love that her sister, Catherine told her to do, to not do all of these different things. And she did all of those things yeah. in that scene. So there's a bit of comedy in it because she's using the blow dryer because she's in her room 
because she's trying on her clothes and that it's like okay but i could have done without the scene like it is kind of it just makes the the scene that much more uncomfortable like i'll be completely honest this story in this movie is the most difficult one to get through because it is so disgusting to me i wish it i wish it wouldn't yeah. have been in it, honestly no i yeah you're right like i this this is one of those ones i feel like um when we get to the end like this is a thing that you know was starting to like well let me let me couch this correctly people being weirdos and and weirdos is even the right word being criminals and and, and stalking children doing this shit is bad and it's been happening you know probably since there's been people but in terms of using the internet as a as a means to an end that was still relatively new and so to bring this in is is very um it, it's very forward thinking in the worst way possible i just think that as a story as an urban legend as a campfire tale it's i think that's interesting to talk about this this film so far has not shown me that it had the capability of handling anything with the proper weight and grace. And it it does not fall it it shows that it's not capable of doing that through the rest of this. Yeah, I I, I agree. And and it's it's you know, I, I just think that there's there's some flaws in this film for sure. Yeah. Uh, I and I think that you know it's just a product of the time too. Like this this movie didn't really even make it to the theaters. Like it was in the theater for one day. It was supposed to be a major like release, but I don't think anybody felt like it had the, the weight as far as like how well it was, was produced, how well it was written to get it out there in front of the, the major public. Well, so two things I'll say here before we get to the, the ending of this segment and then we'll get to the bridge again. But one, we got to consider, like I, I was reading some reviews about this film and I know maybe this is more towards the end, but I'll, I'll about our thoughts and feelings. There was a resurgence of like slasher films because scream kind of, you know, knocked everybody down. And then we ended up getting, I, I don't know where I know what you did last summer falls into this. I know that's the same screenwriter uh, from scream. Uh, but you end up getting a lot of this and there's even the film series urban legends, right? And you get a lot of these films kind of just like, Hey, we can put like teens and, and telling these stories and kind of getting like this, the, like the slasher mentality and getting this kind of in there. This isn't necessarily a slasher film, but you can see that it's trying to walk that line of like updated urban legends, cute people, what they believe is humor, uh, some there, there's 90s music in this segment, maybe not in the other stuff. Um, you can see that they're trying to like angle towards this trend, right? So, um, I don't think it was wrong to chase that. It's just that, um, just because you know where you want to go doesn't mean that you know what steps you need to take to get there. And I think this film has difficulty with that. With that being said, what I want to also say additionally here, much like. Um, films that you and I both love from the eighties and nineties that are like, you know, action movies with like terrorists that are more like cartoon characters. Um, that all kind of changed tonally like after nine 11, I feel like something like this segment, you know, once we start learning what this really means and how really bad this is, this kind of approach, this kind of story changes significantly too, right? This, this is, um, I don't think people really understood the weight of what they're saying with this. And I think it's just a product of its time. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah. That's kind of what I was 
saying before. I like this. This is something where maybe it would be more effective later on. Uh, but like, it's such a creepy story, man. Like, honestly, even when I watch this, when I when I watched this, it was like in the infancy of what I knew of like AOL chat rooms and stuff like that. So it it scared the shit out of me. So I was like expecting the internet creepy dude on the other line posing as the hot chick that I'm supposed to be talking to. Like that that's creepy to me. But I don't know if we needed a story like this because it I don't know. It's it's hard to put it into words and how uncomfortable it is to watch in in these segments. Yeah, that's fair. So, uh, yeah, we'll just let's just power through it. So the big thing is when she goes to bed, and they've said this up earlier. Uh, Odin was like licking her hand, and she's like, "Flatter will get you nowhere." Which I just want to point out, like for the 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 girl playing the lead here, I, I think she's actually my favorite actor in this film because she actually does a good job. Alex McKenna, you actually like her. She's actually funny she's actually believable and she's the youngest person in the cast and she's the best one at what she does. That says a lot for the rest of the people in the film, but I like her. And, but there's this running thing of like when Odin's under the bed originally, she, you know, it, 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 she, Odin licks her hand and she's like, Oh, you know, like she's happy the dog's there. Um, so then you get this game of cat and mouse where she hears like disturbance in the basement. She goes down there. Um, not really jump scares, but tension's supposed to be there. She goes back up to her bedroom and um, she goes to lay down again. And she asks for like, you know, Odin to like, she puts her hand down again. And then this is when she looks across the wall and sees the mirror where, you know, this guy made sure that she knew what was going on and wrote people can lick too. And, uh, and then you see him licking her hand and a very upsetting scene. Uh, and then she screams and runs away, goes to tell her sister. Her sister doesn't believe her. Sister comes to the bedroom, looks under the bed, sees that the dog has been killed and his body's been placed there. And then the guy's gone. And that, and like, I don't know about you. That's like, that's the segment. Like the, the, like that. It also feels like it's an incomplete story in a lot of ways. Yeah. I, there could have been more to this, but I'm glad that it kind of stopped <laughs> at this point. We just, we get the resolve and then we move forward because it was, it really was freaking me out. Like, it, especially now, I think maybe younger, I didn't really understand how, how real this shit is and like how I think misunderstood this stuff is. But watching it now, knowing that this, this creepy shit happens, like these creepy guys are out there like that, it just made me want to fast forward through it. So I'm glad that the story ended in some way quicker <laughs> no that's fair no 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 like i'm not saying bring on more you know people licking hands and shit like that's creepy also not cool right now with everything going on you know like that's there's an additional level of like you know don't be an asshole that's stalking children also don't lick hands that i think that's two things right so um but like you know the fact that like he took the time to write on the mirror and then it just like it, it, the moment, the moment she put her hand down, and let uh, Odin lick her hand to begin with. I knew where this was going. Like, and it was like, I felt uncomfortable the entire time. I'm like, God damn it. They're going to have this guy licking her hand and it's going to be the worst thing ever. And at least she didn't get hurt. Um, in terms of the story. I mean, I'm talking in real life. 
you're never probably going to be right ever again, you know? Um, but at least it didn't go further than that because I also feel like, you know, this film could have easily tilted into taking it one step more and it could have been way worse in terms of like a viewing experience. I just, I don't know, man, like you're right. This is the most problematic of the segments. Um, but you know, I don't, it just, it is what it is and, and we're past it. So never, we'll never speak of it again. Yeah. Thank God. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that was that story. And uh, yeah, people can lick too. That was our, our title of it. And uh, yeah, never want to talk about it again. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, all right. So we get to the bridge here. Uh, it involves, uh, you know, the girls way to go pee and then the guys go pee. And then there's some talk about like genitalia, but then they also run up and scare the girls while they're peeing, which, you know, like that was the fastest pee ever by girls, you know, or, or just in general, it's like you, you go to, you go to pee and then all of a sudden guys scare you and your body doesn't want to pee anymore. No, your body's going to keep peeing regardless of what you want to do or not. That's my thought. But there's also a weird conversation about the girls between the, both of them about cliff because, uh, you know, the ones dating him, uh, what Lauren, that's her name, right? Um, Marsha, Marsha Brady's dating him. And, and then her friend, is like um uh, alex is like we don't hang out anymore she's like we should once we get to the end of this movie terry just once we get where we're going please explain to me what the hell the sequence was doing in this movie i'm not sure like, <laughs> I just felt like they're, they're just these scenes just seem so thrown together and they just didn't have a really good game plan for it so i don't I think they were more focused on the stories and they're like, so what do we need for the connective tissue? And this is what we have, you know, Cliff and the goofballs. Like <laughs> <laughs> that should have been, that should have been the name of the movie. Cliff and the goofballs coming to you Saturdays on ABC. Um, no, it's just, um, yeah. And then you still get a little bit of this threading in where Cliff is like, he sees like something in the distance. He's like, did you hear that? Got to go back to the campfire. And so then um, at this point, then we get a third story, but Alex is going to tell this story. And this one's called The Locket. Um, and we'll talk about the cast in this there. It's also very uh, limited. We have uh, Glenn Quinn as Scott. He was Mark on Roseanne in the original run. He, he dated Darlene. So there's your connection. Um, he was in Dr. Giggles. And then he died of a heroin overdo overdose in 2002. That's all I have for him. Yeah, it, it's a shame. Um, I, it, it's 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 it sucks to see uh, guys in their prime just cut down by drugs like that. Yeah, you know, I, I actually liked him quite a bit. He was a good comic relief um, in Roseanne for the pretty strong subject matter that sometimes that like, he was involved with. So uh, yeah, it, it, yeah, it's too yeah. bad, man. Uh, but yeah, two Roseanne connections. Look at that. Yeah, anyway. and that's actually all the only notes I had from as well. Yeah. So then we got Jacinda Barrett as Heather. Um, I remember her because she was actually in a real world season four London. Um, and she's Australian, which um, will explain why you never really hear her in this segment. Um, and then she was also an urban legends final cut. So one of the sequels, urban legends, and she was an episode of a TV show called Nightman which was a shitty uh, syndicated show about a superhero. I think he was like a, I want to say he played like jazz saxophone during the day. And then at night he was a superhero or some shit. Um, but yeah, I just remember her as being like a model that was in the real world. So when I saw her name, I'm like, holy crap, she tried acting. 
And I mean, she's not bad in this. It's just how do you how do you cast somebody that has a very distinct Australian accent? Oh yeah, put her in a role where she doesn't say anything. You know, perfect. Um, I don't know if I have anything else for her. Uh, the only thing I had for her was uh, she was in that not so good remake of uh, Poseidon, the Poseidon Adventures. But yeah, but the only worth note uh, part of that movie is that Kurt Russell's in it. So if oh. you want to watch, uh, you know, every Kurt Russell film, you can watch Poseidon. But if you want to watch a better film, uh, watch Poseidon Adventures with Gene Hackman instead. <laughs> All right. So um, next, I have uh, Denny Arnold, who's the third person in this. He's the he's Heather's father. Uh, I just want to mention, like, this was his last acting role, I believe, but he did, like, some acting stuff. He was mainly a stuntman. I just want to throw out here, uh, so he did stunts in The Wild Bunch, The Common Cheros, which is a John Wayne movie, I believe, Logan's Run, Rumble in the Bronx, the Jackie Chan film that is a lot of fun. I mean, a lot of Jackie Chan films are fun. And he actually did stunts for 2000's X-Men, so we got a James Marsden connection again there. Yeah, that's awesome, man, because he is all over the place. I mean, his career spanned a long-ass yeah. time for doing stunts. stunts. I mean, he was in Blazing Saddles as well. Yeah. Um, it's awesome. There, um, there's a bridge detonation scene in The Wild Bunch that you could not do now because you probably killed all the horses on the bridge, but it's crazy. Um, but yeah, like I just caught my eyes. Like, you know, you got to recognize Stuntman when you see it. Um, did you have anything else for him? No, I did not. And then we have uh, Melva Barbula as Heather's voice. So <laughs> nothing else for her. But, you know, just to let you know, uh, Jacinda Barrett was not her voice in this. So, all right. Um, I just want to, here's, here's how I'm going to pitch the beginning of the locket. What is up with this 1990s college coffeehouse bullshit music that's playing with him driving his motorcycle to begin with? I don't know. It sucked. It was terrible. <laughs> It's like, oh, yeah, man, we're just going to play some hacky sack in the quad and, you know, we're just going to feel things. It's like, what is going on here? It just I felt like the people that made the movie had either either the writers and directors were in a band and they want to get their song in or they knew somebody that needed to get their song in there or they ran out of money for like Born to be Wild by Steppenwolf because they spent money on the rest of the music in this movie. It, you know what it, it reminded me of uh, was like the. um basketball when he's driving in the car and the music is <laughs> talking about everything that's happening oh. like in his life he's like oh, oh, oh okay <laughs> funny funny that you referenced that movie specifically so if people uh want to listen to another podcast i do uh i i just i just literally talked about basketball as an episode last night with my other co-host on invasion of the podcast so funny that uh terry brought that up i'm sure he was trying to make sure that you know that he was aware but yes, that, 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 that's not, that's, that's not dissimilar. I agree. Yeah. I just thought that was hilarious because it's talking about a, a guy who doesn't know which way to go. Poor Jack doesn't know what to do. And it's like, this is so stupid. Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, it just, it just felt like, I'm like, Oh, do I have to buy the sampler CD in the coffee shop to get the coffee? I want, I don't like this, you know? Um, they'd be like, yeah, man, you should just follow us on our MySpace page, you know, like, okay. Uh, so anyway, um, we get Scott, uh, also, this is also one of the most, uh, are you the afraid of the dark intros where, uh, the girl is like, and he's a guy driving, driving out somewhere, but he doesn't know where he's going, but every mile takes him closer to what's going on. It's like, Duh! anyway, so submitted for your approval. approval. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the tale of uh, the talky talk guy and the mute Australian girl, you know, whatever. Um, 
I, I, I do feel bad because he's given, he has to carry this entire segment with a lot of things he says. And I'm not saying he was a bad actor. I just think the script wasn't helping him. And I'm also going to guess, and this is the director of this is the one that went on to do like all the other directing and do other big things. We all have to learn somewhere. So anyway, um, yeah, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll take the reins for this one, Terry. You've told all the cliff stories. I'll tell this one. Uh, so Scott is motorcycling out, listening to shitty music. His, his motorcycle uh, runs out of gas or whatever. Uh, good thing that as a plot device, we've not seen that earlier with the RV. So that's good. Um, but then it starts raining. He sees a, like a farmhouse in the distance. He goes up, knocks on the door. Um, <laughs> I do like that. He's like pounding at the door, looking at the windows. And then he goes out, he kind of backs up. He's like, I just need to use your phone. It's like, that does not make me want to open the door to you, but whatever. Um, he goes and pounds on the door again. Um, this very pretty Australian girl answers the door. Uh, and he's like, he over talks. She's not saying anything. She sees his saddlebags that he's carrying from his motorcycle. And suddenly she's cool with him coming in. Um, and then he realizes that she's mute also because she's Australian and can't say things. Cause that would ruin the allure. I guess. I don't know. Um, he asks to use a phone and here is the most 1997 thing I could think of in this film. Aside from the, the Walkman, do you have a phone to use? I have a calling card. Yeah, I do. Do you remember using calling cards? Yeah, I do. I do remember using calling cards. Dude, they sucked. I hated using those things. Like, by the time you actually get to dialing all of the information off of those damn things and get to connect to your phone, like, you could have fished out a quarter from somebody somewhere, you know? Like, (laughs) (laughs) the struggle was real, man, as being a teenager and using calling cards. You have five (laughs) minutes left. Oh shit! I guess I gotta use another calling card. Yeah, yo, you hang up first. No, you hang up first. Like, why do you sound Australian? That's not important. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, so we find out that like she's there by herself, and she has a chalkboard that she can write out things. So she writes out her name. It's Heather. He realizes, you know, like you know, that's great. But then he starts asking about like her parents, and then she plays this game of charades for like the next like seven hours of this film. It just it it annoyed me. I didn't like that. It's supposed to be like charming. And it's like, you have a chalkboard right out. What's going on, please. Yeah. Uh, through the process of uh, charades, like you said, um, Scott finds out that uh, she also lives with her father, but her father is driving cattle or boxing. Uh, <laughs> it's he's like, your, your, your father's a boxer. It's like, yeah, she's making a very distinct boxing motion with charades. Yeah, I'd, I'd hate to see co- somebody coming at me with that style of boxing because they're about to get leveled if they're going to challenge me with that style. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's like a Clash Joe first uh, Mike Tyson's punch out boss. Like, it's like whatever. It's like, oh, you're just holding your hands up and shaking your hips a little bit. Star punch out, you know, whatever. So, yeah. And so then we get this, it, this one. So I'll say this right now. Um, of all the stories in this entire film, this is the one that probably had the most promise because the idea of what's going on is actually really creepy and kind of cool. The movie doesn't do a good job of stating it. And that's very frustrating. And also it just, you, you find out um, that like, he's kind of into her within minutes. Like, is your father around? It's like, Oh, you can't talk. Huh? I, you know, <laughs> I prefer my women in the kitchen, not talking. He doesn't say that, but it's implied. Um, you know, and, and so you get this whole thing of like, they're kind of, they're kind of vibing on each other. And, but then 
Um, you also get like the sound of this music box playing that he thinks is familiar. But then while that's going on, you get this kind of weird, like looping effect that's happening in the house. It's, it's hard to like talk about point for point plot wise because it is scattershot on purpose. But what it comes down to is the father is coming home at some point. He sees his daughter with like a man. He gets upset, kills her and throws her head in the well and then kills himself. But the way the movie shows it, it's kind of like it's almost like a record skipping. And I really, really like this could have been an entire movie by itself done right. And it could have been a really cool idea. Yeah, it's really interesting. And like you said, like creepy as all get out because the scene like it keeps on playing over and over again. So we're getting glimpses of every um, moment of the of the the murder that happens by the father. Like when he walks into the kitchen area, there's gore all over the place. But then when we go back through the kitchen area with Heather, all of it's gone. So it's it's really unnerving and leading up to this moment too um there are just like hints of different things that are going on and it's hard to say if they're in scott's head or if they're just for the audience but there's just like certain music cues certain noises uh you can hear screams every so often but we haven't gotten to the murder scene yet so it's really strange yeah and but like with the the music box kind of shutting on and off and then like the victrola like coming on and it's like you would catch the sequence and like you, you mentioned the kitchen, but then we also have whenever um, Scott comes back out in the living room and the father confronts him. And like, it's like, it's like that, like you talk about everything's resetting and it just kind of keeps happening, but it's kind of happening kind of like, it's like kind of all over the place. It isn't chronological. And I just, again, like smarter writers and like, like this, this is the movie you want to make. And you could have with three people, you know, like you could have this, this is like, I like the idea that this kind of exists in a loop, but it's not a consistent loop itself. And that is more frustrating to me that uh, of everything we've seen in this, this movie, this is the one that could have been completely upsetting and unnerving. Well, I mean, the, aside from the real world internet shit that has happened in the last one that we, I'm sorry, we're talking about it again. Um, <laughs> it this is the one that felt like this could be the coolest story to tell and because even later whenever scott grabs her and runs out of the house they blow by the dad walking back in again and he does not pay attention to them because he's not at that part in the story yet you know and it's like that's cool and it was re- like god damn this could have been this could have been something yeah it was a really fascinating um story to watch um, and like you said, we could have fluffed it up a little bit better and made it more presentable. Honestly, I, I, I wasn't a really big fan of Glenn, um, in his portrayal of the character. Uh, but you know, it is what it is. It was still, it was still, a in a very interesting story and very unnerving, especially like the outside settings and that and watching the guy drop the head into the bucket and everything like really scary stuff. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm talking like change some of the principles around and, you know, like you could had, you could have had something here, you know, and it, it, but there is some effective bits and even the end, whenever like the next day he actually, she has been wearing this locket. He's been wanting to see, and she's been kind of guarded about it. 
Um, and so uh, he goes to open the locker and he sees like her and then like a picture of him, but like, you know, it's from a, like you know a long time ago. So you get the whole notion that like we didn't even mention like this house has no phone and it has like uh like gas like um gas lamps not like gas lamps like um oil lamps, and so you get the notion that this thing's kind of out of time, and so you find out that it's like you almost get the idea that these are star-crossed lovers that are now kind of like in this loop, but it's not really. It, his his part of the story you don't really get because he's been on a motorcycle driving cross country, but whatever. But the money shot in this is whenever he sees what's going on and realizes that like, you know, they've like something's amiss, um, which by the way, the repeating house of murder should have been the tip off, but whatever. Um, she goes to say something. I forget, I forget her exact wording, but when she leans her head back, her neck opens up and it is an amazing effect. It's really, really like, I don't know how much money they spent on the movie, this was this was a great effect of watching her neck spread open when she realizes that she could talk for a second and that she knows she's a ghost and she's about to leave him. Yeah, I, I honestly love this shot. Um, it encapsulates the the rest of the story so well. And I'm glad that we had something kind of this unnerving at the end, mortifying, honestly. Um, it was it just it is a good urban legend. I've heard this legend before. Um, so it's just, it's fun to see it on the screen. And I think that this shot was amazing, especially cause it's so tranquil where they are. They're just sitting up against a tree and it's like, Oh, this is nice. Like we're away from the murder house and that, and it's like, wow, that's like a cold ending, you know? No. It, so that's all, that's all good. It's just, I feel like there was so much there that could have led up to that, that this could have been like a huge sledgehammer, you know, but but yeah, that's it. Um, you know, her head falls off. So you realize that she's a mute uh, in this like this loop because she got her head cut off, which, you know, that would cause you not to talk well. You know, just that that's me. Uh, I'm I, that's my medical professional opinion. Losing your head would make you not talk well. You guys can quote me on that. It's 100 percent scientifically true. Um, so, yeah, that's that's a. Uh, that's the end of the story. Um, and then we get to um, the end of the movie. So uh, yeah, Terry, tell me, tell me what the hell happened here at the end of this film. Okay. So as uh, the one character is finishing up the story, we see Cliff, he is still kind of hearing these noises and that, and he sees out in the distance that there's some lights uh, that maybe the cops are finally there. So he goes to investigate and he tells everybody to come on, but, they hang back by the fire for some reason. And we're getting um, weird glimpses of cops and ambulance um, workers around an accident. But then we're seeing we're seeing Cliff again, kind of trying still to coax the friends to come along. But now it's more of like a, um, a weird like they're standing in a, a row just staring at him and it it keeps on going back to the, you know, the paramedics and we come to see that they, they are the ones that were in the accident and cliff is being worked on right now by the paramedics. And so the, we've come to the realization that, that the rest of the group are dead and cliff is about to pass because they're using the paddles on him. They're trying to revive him. 
and nothing's working, and then he finally flatlines. So the, our group was dead the entire time. Yeah, and and then we also see like uh, surrounding this, like the one of them, the uh, medics is the guy we just saw in the like it. It's the actor that we just saw in the previous segment, and then we have the annoying couple in the RV showing up, um, you know, talking. And then one of the other paramedics is the mother from the people can look to like segment. So we get like this big thing of like, maybe he's just seeing these people like on his way out and he's just making up this big story. And it's like, none of it really ever kind of connects because when he comes back, like, you know, his spirit comes back to the, the campfire. The three people are there waiting to hug him and say goodbye. It's like, you didn't earn this. You killed everybody. You piece of shit. You know, like, it's just, you know, I wrote my notes here. I was like, uh, the twist was that they all died at the beginning. And then I wrote all caps and I, I screwed this up. I wrote, don't drink and drink, you know, drive evidently, but don't drink and drink. That's, that's what I'm saying. Cause they found, they found cans at the scene and it's just, I don't know. Like it's not, it's not a bad twist on the surface. I think that if the filmmakers knew where they were going, which they certainly did, if you already know the end point in regards to this story, your bridge, I think you could have done a better job of leading up to it. Yeah, probably. Um, it, it, it works for me. Uh, how we got to it wasn't that bad. Um, I like the moral twist of it. Um, you know, just kind of getting back to don't be an asshole. Don't drink and drive. You could probably kill your friends. Like, yeah. I, I, I like the moral there. Um, but, you know, it, it, again, like this movie hasn't, it, it's not the best film. It's definitely not, it hasn't aged the greatest, but there are certain things I like about it. And I, I actually kind of like this, this wraparound, like in, in this encapsulation, honestly. Well, I mean, I think the idea could have, could have had legs. I mean, and there's a little bit here. You like, you mentioned him hearing things or whatever. And, but there's also the kind of like, it's, it, I don't know if, if this is them trying to be coy cause they don't really do a good job of showing it, but like, no matter how long they hang out at the fire, they're never warm. Like they could have done a little bit better with this. Um, you know, and also could have shown that maybe, you know, all four of them are dead and they've not realized it and they need to pass on, you know, you already got the car that's wrecked that you showed eventually. Thank you. I, I just, again, I know I'm rewriting this film and it's, it's well past the time it's been produced. It just, when we get to that end and then we realize the, the filler stuff of like, um, the story of the nosebleeds and the parents and whatever. And then, uh, the scaring girls, why they pee and all this. It's like, none of that makes sense to me because well, one, you see actual scenes between two female characters that now that we know they are dead and are there for the sole purpose of making sure cliff finds out that he's dead. Why would they have conversations among themselves about him and then hanging out next weekend? That feels weird to me. Yeah. Upon, uh, my last bit of like viewage uh, and notes, I, that was one of the things that didn't make sense to me either. I'm like, there's, I feel like they should have always been together with as a him. group. Yeah. With him. Yeah. yeah. I think, I think if he's the focal point, you could have had him, you know, the entire time I, as much as he's a shitty character, if it's about him, like slowly leaving this world because of his bad decisions and those surrounding him, then the movie should never, 
leave his focus. Like you could have the different characters tell stories. Fine. They're staying around the campfire. I'm okay with that. Um, I also think that all three stories should have poked, like pointed more towards him and his actions. I don't know how you do that, but I think it would have been like that more of the morality tale, like the entire time. Um, I don't know. I mean, there's decent bones here for most of it. We'll never speak of the internet bit again. That's terrible. Um, are you afraid of the dark web? That's what we'll call that segment from now on. Um, but there, there's, there, that's also why I guess I'm frustrated. Like, I'm glad that you brought this to me. I'm glad that we found it. I'm glad Rich that found this with like the Swedish underneath it. Um, I was entertained by some of the translations. I didn't write them down, but some of the translations were like not literal, but if you read them out phonetically, they're kind of close. It was kind of fun. Um, it's what, it's not one of these ones. I don't think I want to like ever break out again. Cause I feel like it, it kind of falls a little flat at times. And I feel like it kind of betrays itself at times too. Um, which I'm not saying I'm not regretting watching it and I'm not regretting this conversation because this has been a hell of a lot of fun. Um, I can see why this film has kind of been forgotten at times though. And that's fair. I, I think it's probably the nostalgia to me that makes this movie stay in my mind and, uh, makes me want to view it, uh, you know, more often. I mean, I revisited this probably about a year ago, and that was like the first time I had watched it in probably 20 years. So, I mean, it's it's a it, it, I'm a completist when it comes to horror anthology. So this one stays there with me okay. uh, a little bit longer than probably it should have. But well, you know. you, no, it's fine. Like, I think sitting down with you and our wives and watching this, we'd have a hoot watching it, you know, like. I think this is a fun one that you can kind of turn your brain off and watch and kind of make some comments as you go along. It's just like, and again, I'm not saying that when we watch nightmares, that's not a perfect film either, but there, there was more things that surprised me that like I forgotten about that. I'm like, this, there's some quality here and there's nuggets in this. There's some gold in the Hills. It's just, those Hills are very, very far away. And you know, you might lose a leg getting there. Yeah, and you got to watch out for the crow men. The crow men, <laughs> yeah. Well, you got to take your crowbar to fight the crow men, you know. So that's what you got to do. Um, yeah. Uh, oh, and then also in the credits, there's a stinger where this car shows up. It's a '50s car with a with the the hook hand hanging out of the car, and it's implied that like the hook guy from the beginning of the movie is out and about again because the movie turns back to black and white. I'm like, that doesn't even make sense. But whatever. It's a funny visual gag, but it tonally and like story wise, it has, it makes, it makes no sense. Yeah. I, I, that's also why I felt I had to debate a little bit. If it was like, if the first story, the, the hook story was thrown together to give it some more meat, knowing that that stinger was in the end, it, it felt like it was supposed to be there. Like everything was planned out accordingly while filming was initially started in that. So I don't know. Um, I thought it was fun. I thought it was just goofy to see the end scene like that. I, was, I just wanted to see more of the hook guy come back and whoop some ass. So <laughs> well, considering that they kept showing that twinkle of the hook the entire time, right? Like you thought there might be some kind of payoff. Yeah, whatever. Uh, anyway. Um, yeah, that that's been our discussion about KFR tales. Do you have any other, uh, any other, uh, notes about the film and proper? Uh, you know, outside of like the, uh, the fact that this movie was, like I was saying earlier, it was supposed to be uh, a theatrical run. Um, and that was in February 28th, 1997. It did make one 
one screening <laughs> and that was it. And then it just went to, it went to VHS after that. So, and you I know, don't know why I one screening. Well, sometimes they do that because then they don't have to say direct to video. Like that used to be a thing was like, Oh no, it was in the theaters. It's like, no one theater and one showing, but people didn't know that. So, um, they used to be a thing to kind of, cause there was that whole stigma about like direct to video or VHS releases. So, you know, that might've been why was just to try at least get like, no, 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 this people paid money for this once type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. It seems right. Um, but yeah, that's, that's all I had for notes. All right. So that's going to do it for our discussion about campfire tales. Uh, uh, you guys can chime in, um, about your pains of the film, um, and let us know what you think about it. If you're able to see it good. I mean, good luck. I, I hate being like that guy, but you know, it, this is a hard movie to track down. Um, you might know some people that might be able to point you some ways, or, or I'd say, you know, maybe you could just go out on the internet, but we know what happens when you go on the internet. Don't do that. There's going to be hand licking. You don't want that, you know? So, uh, but let us know your thoughts. We have a Facebook page. It's a, it's a strange highways. You can find us there. Um, you know, wherever you find your podcast rate and review us, please, uh, let other people know about the show. Uh, the more the merrier. And Terry has an announcement because we have, uh, we have, uh, stepped boldly into, uh, further social media. Yeah. In an attempt to get more of you guys on board and have a new facet for the show and reaching out to us and to you guys. Um, we are on Instagram now. Um, we put together a quick one, um, but we will slowly build and put more content on there right now. We only have two posts, but hopefully you guys can follow us. We are strange highways podcast on Instagram. So yeah, we look to hear some feedback, maybe some likes on our pictures, but yeah. Here we yeah. Are. And I'm going to try my best to, uh, now. Yeah. Well, also, I'm going to tease. I was actually able to get screen captures from this film, like, praise God, as opposed to the last few medias that we've been uh, watching, like, the last, like, six months. Uh, I'm, I'm going to try to share some of that over the Facebook page over the uh, you know next couple of days. Uh, some of that might show up on the Instagram, or I might post some original uh, black and white stuff that we have from the original series up there, too, so people can uh, have some fun guessing where those, those came from, what episodes. That'd be a lot of fun. Um, yes. Uh, so yeah, we're on the Instagrams. So there you go. Uh, gram it up, Facebook it up, MySpace it up. Um, you know, uh, what was, what was the chat back then? It wasn't AOL chat. It was, um, IR, not IRC. What was it called? Do you know uh, talking AIM, about? Was. What was it called? Was it AIM? AIM, AIM was the, uh, the messenger, but there was also uh, anyway. So anyway, if you guys want to find us on AIM too, that's fine. But all right. So next week, um, we're going to be dipping back into some amazing stories. We had covered that previously when, uh, when we had talked about ghost train and mummy daddy, um, the episode after mommy daddy, it's season one, episode five called the mission has Kevin Costner and some others in it. Um, we're going to be talking about that. You guys might be like, I don't know how to find amazing stories. Good news. Before we start recording, Terry and I found a treasure trove of free content on NBC.com. Go to NBC.com slash amazing stories. They have uh, all actually they have all season one up there. So there was two seasons of the show, but they have all season one up. You can watch the mission with us. We talk about it next week. And then we're going to talk about some other things following that that is also available at NBC.com. I can't wait. It's going to be fun to get back to amazing stories where a lot of the stuff that we talk about doesn't always have the most hopeful tilt. Amazing stories generally is more, you know, heartwarming. So maybe we need a win right now. I, I like, but we're going to talk about the mission. Um, this is going to be a fun episode. 
Can't wait. It looks like Kiefer Sutherland's in this too, actually. So you got, you got Kiefer Sutherland, you got Kevin Costner, and a bunch of other guys. So can't wait to talk about that next week. Yeah, I'm super stoked about this. I have never watched uh, Amazing Stories. It's just one of those things that eluded me throughout my entire childhood and that. And now I am ready. Let's we're, let's get into it. Let's have some fun. Yes. So that's going to do it for us this week. Have a great week. Um, I'd say, um, I don't know, if people with hooks for hands, which, you know, they might be your neighbors, so just you know, be nice. But if they're coming up to you while you're in a car with Amy Smart, that's a bad idea. Like, But I don't know. I got nothing. Um, don't put on terrible New York accents if you can't do them. That's what I'll say. Yeah, and uh, watch out for Jessica on the internet.
just had great sex! <laughs> Get back in here! What are you, crazy?